Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Does that ever get old? You guys love that. You love the part where they fall down and hit the post and all of that and get arrested. Well, it's great to see all of you this morning. I want to welcome you to our service. The first time here, uh, I want to tell you how glad we are that you're here and let you know that we're, we're so happy that you're here and hope that you can call this your home in the future. We are right in the middle of a series called... Yeah, you got it. Killing it. And uh, what we're talking about is how to kill our pride. And you saw it live and in color up on the screen uh, because pride is so devastating in our lives. And if you missed the first two weeks, I want to send you to our website, uh, lighthousecoc.com. You can watch it. You can download it. You can, uh, you know, you, you can watch it even on our YouTube uh, channel and get connected there, but I want to encourage you because pride is so, so serious. I want to encourage you to, to do it. Also, we got our discussion questions on the website, so you can go over those. And this week, I want to make sure that all of you, you guys that are members of our church, that you go over the discussion questions with somebody. Because what we're going to talk about today is so significant, and it's so hidden because one of the things that we've been talking about in this series on pride, and we're not talking about the kind of pride where I'm proud of my work, I'm proud of my children. No, no, no. We're talking about the ugly, yucky, sticky, awful pride that you're ashamed of. Like, for example, when somebody gets in trouble at work, you're kind of happy about it because it makes you look better. And you don't like that part about you, but it is what it is. You know, or, or what, what, what causes you not to apologize when you need to apologize, when you need to say you're sorry for, for being a knucklehead to your wife, right? And your pride won't let you do that. That's the kind of pride that we're talking about. And we want to kill it. And we want to get rid of it in, in our lives. Because it's the one thing that has the potential to destroy the things that we love and the people that we love. So we've been talking about this for the last two weeks, and this is part three. And what we've been talking about is pride. It shuts you in while shutting God and others out. Basically, when you're prideful, there's no room for anybody else in the room. There's nobody, no more room for anybody else in the relationship because it's all about you. And so we've been attacking this and going after it. Uh, each week, and it's been really, really good. And as I've shared with some of you uh, in the last few weeks, uh, pride has always been something that's been a nemesis for me in my life. And if we're honest, as I hope you will be today, you're going to see that it plays a role in your life. So today I want to talk to a, a group of people. Last week we talked to the, the three P people. Remember that? The three P people? What were the, the three P people? Anybody remember? People with a little extra power, a little extra prestige, and a little extra possessions. Those three things. When you fall in that category, 3P people, your tendency is to get arrogant. I got a little more than everybody else, don't I? And so you elevate yourself above everybody else. And we looked at this verse last week. This is an incredible verse from Daniel. And it was one that Nebuchadnezzar said. And Daniel told him that he had to say before God could use him. And so let's all read it together one more time in memory of last week. See, because, because the Most High, help me, because the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wants. And this comes from Daniel 4.17. 
And it's really good because when you understand this verse, how can you get arrogant? Because it's, it's not about you. You didn't, you didn't come up with this. God gave it to you. So you can't get all huff, puffed up when you understand this. And this is something that Nebuchadnezzar last week, we saw that he needed to understand the hard way. And uh, you can go back and listen to that. But this week, we're going to talk to a group of people that have trouble with this, okay? People that have an appetite for known. An appetite for known. And what we're talking about is, is we all have an audience, right? And it's one of the reasons you got up this morning and got dressed, right? Fixed your hair. Uh, maybe you got a haircut this week like I did. Why do we do stuff like that? Why do we go to so much trouble? Because we have an appetite for what? For being known. We all have an audience, right? Maybe it's at school or work or relationship, or our neighbors. We all have an audience that we're trying to get applause from. And so, you know, we're going to be talking about, because it's an appetite, it's very, very powerful. And an appetite for known is something that a lot of us don't even realize we're in touch with. We all want to be friended, followed, liked, and mentioned. In fact, I could just go ahead, and this is kind of how it is, get a, get a selfie of me here with this, this screen, okay, and post it on my page. And when we get liked, what happens? Makes us feel good. And who's our audience? All of our friends on, on Facebook or on Instagram or wherever. And we want to be liked. We want to be mentioned. We want our name to be posted. And some of you guys who are uh, not on social media, social media feeds into this appetite that we all have to be known, okay? And for people to pay attention to who? To me, to us. Okay, for, but for those of you that aren't on social media, maybe I got a different list for you. We all want to be recognized. We all want to be admired. We, always, we all want to be sought after, and we all want to be envied. Now, you probably have a hard time with this last one, okay? Envied, because that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dark word. But let me tell you what I'm talking about. Ladies, when you go out with your husband... And, and he's wearing something, and you just go, wait a minute. You say, come over here. You, you can't wear that. It doesn't match. Go back and put something on. Now, you can go out like that when you're going by yourself, but if you're going to come with me, if you're going out with me, you're not going to wear that. What's that? What's that? Okay, I've gotten it. Okay, I've gotten it. But guys, guys, when you go out and she's wearing something a little, you know, that's not really looking great, you keep quiet. <laughs> right? You don't say anything. Isn't that true? Okay, so the best thing for all of us to do here this morning is just admit it. Okay, I got an appetite. The, the more you deny it, the more pride there is because you're resisting it. You, you, we all want this, okay? We all want this. And the truth of the matter is, there's a little Lady Gaga in all of us. There's a little Lady Gaga. We want the applause, applause, applause. Yeah, give me, give me, give me, come on. Give me more, give me more. We all want the applause. We love that. Don't we love that? If some of you, some don't even know who a Lady Gaga is, okay? Zsa Zsa Gabor then. Okay, maybe, maybe her. 
Okay, that's, I know who she is and I know who. But where does this start? Where does this whole, this whole desire, this whole appetite, guess where it starts? And those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. Daddy, watch. Daddy, watch. Mommy, watch. Mommy, look. Mommy, watch. Right? We know this. And it starts out with our parents when we're little. We want them to applaud us. We want them to notice us. And it starts out with our parents. When we get older, it becomes what? A coach, a teacher, a group of friends, right? At school, yeah, we we know about that. Then it becomes a boy. We We want his attention or a girl, we want her attention. And the older we get, it changes, but it's still there. And if you as a parent, you know, that, you know this, because you, know, you, you see it all the time. You know, when you go to, your, your, go to the pool with your kid, right? And they say, Daddy, watch. Daddy, watch. And they, they're on the pool, and they, they jump off the side, and they, they go to the side, and, and you know, it's over and over and over again. You, and you're just a part of you, you want to go, hey, Kid, kid, come here, come here. Listen, it's been 25 times. It's the same thing. Okay, I've seen it. It's awesome. Now, we'd never say that to our kids, would we? But you feel it. But that's where it starts. And let me say this to all of us. This first one here, Daddy, watch. You know what really gets us off the rails in our life? A lot of times it's because we didn't get enough attention from our dad. And it really messes us up, particularly the women. And, and it's, a, it's a serious deal, but we all have it. And it starts off really young, and it doesn't change. So we're going to be talking about this, this appetite that all of us have. Because if you feed it, if you feed that appetite, what happens? It grows. It's never fully, finally satisfied. You never get full from being known and having an audience. And the more friends, fans, and followers you have, the more you what? Want it. It never stops. And nobody here, and I, and I know some of you, you're really spiritual, you're going to say, mm, I don't want to be known. I don't, I don't want recognition. I don't want my kids to, to, to recognize what I've done for them. I don't want my people at coworkers to recognize what I've done for them. I just want to be quiet and humble. Okay? That's not true. All of us, just, just be honest. All of us, all of us, all of us have an appetite for being known. And so there's no amount of known that will satisfy your appetite to be known for the thing you've determined you want to be known for. There's something in your life, one or two things that you want to be known for. And there's an appetite, and there's not enough known in the world that's going to satisfy that appetite. So it's really important. And today we're going to look at John the Baptist. And it's not enough, it's not enough to say, well, I just don't want to have an appetite. No, you've got one, and it's about how to manage it. It's not about, you know, I want to do away with the appetite. No, it's there. You want to learn how to manage it. Okay, so let's talk about John the Baptist. John the ba- How many of you know who John the Baptist is? Raise your hand. Everybody, everybody, if you know who he is, if you've never heard of John the Baptist, you don't have to raise your hand, but those of you that have, so it's most of us that are here, right? We've heard of John the Baptist. 
What does that say about John the Baptist? 2,020 years later, he's still what? Known. John was extremely well-known and is well-known. Let me ask you this. In 2,020 years, will anybody remember you or me? Probably not. Probably not. How about 200 years? Will they remember us? Probably not. How about 20 years? Maybe. Maybe some close friends and relatives. So what we're going to look at, John was known, and how he managed it, how he dealt with it, is so, so powerful. And that's why we want to talk about him today, is because he is such an example of how he dealt with this appetite for known. So we're going to jump from Mark to John, both Gospels that give us a really good picture of, of how John managed his appetite for known. So we're going to start in John chapter 4, or John chapter 1, verse 4. It said, And John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Interesting fact about John the Baptist. He was the first one to introduce baptism in the history of Judaism and Christianity. Now, baptism existed before, but people would baptize themselves as a ceremonial cleansing before they would go into the temple. They would baptize themselves. But nobody, until John the Baptist showed up, nobody took it upon themselves to grab somebody and dunk them in the water. He was the first one to do it. And we read on verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This is significant because at this time, the, the distance from the Judean countryside and the Jordan River was about 20 miles walking. How long would it take you to walk 20 miles? You would have to leave at the crack of dawn, and you won't get there until dark. And for them to say, the whole Judean countryside, and it says all the people, maybe a little bit exaggerated, but what, the, what, the, what, what Mark is trying to say here is there were lots and lots of people, not like the movies that we see where they've got a, you know, a few people there, a couple of women, and then a couple of store clerks, and they're standing around. The, no, 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 we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people were listening to John the Baptist and families, whole families. It was a three-day journey. Take you a day, then you'd listen, then it'd take you another day to get all the way back. Think about that. For thousands of people traveling from Jerusalem to go hear John the Baptist. So again, who is John the Baptist? He's incredibly well known. In fact, the word was getting out. We jump to the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 15. This is John talking about himself. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, you and I know who he's talking about, don't we? Because we know the end of the story. But if you were there in the audience, you'd be like, what? Who is he talking about? What's this about? He who comes after me, before me, surpassed me. Who is this? But he's talking about Jesus. 
And he's given us a little bit of an his indication that I am known, I am known. I have all these people that are here listening to me so that I can make who known? Him known. I'm here, I'm known, so that I can make him known. We read on. Verse 19 and 20. Now this was John's testimony to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Sent, they sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, confess, but confessed freely. The very fact that the leadership, prominent people were sending their subjects or their secretaries or their, their administrative assistants, sending them to ask John a question tells you what? He was getting some you know, attention from very powerful people. And they wanted to know what he was about. You know what their question was? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah, John? Tell us who you are. We want to know because you got all these people. Basically, so you understand, John the Baptist was gathering so many people that no one had seen a gathering like that in their lifetime. He was huge. He was a celebrity. And the fact that he dressed the way he dressed, he was preaching sermons that were like intense. They'd make your hair stand up. And he was baptizing people. All this stuff was going on, and they're like, what is this guy all about? So they asked him, and they asked him, so who are you, John? What's your ministry all about? And he freely confessed, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Now, this is a huge, huge moment right here for John the Baptist. It's like the stage lights are on. I am John. And, and this is the coolest thing. He didn't do that. This is a moment when all the spotlights were on, and he could have made a declaration of who he is. And look at what he does. Verse 21, he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So he could have made a declaration about how he was this important person. And he's always, he's always running around it. And then we read on, verse 22, he says, Finally they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Who are you, John? What's your deal? And this is a big question for all of us because you've got to ask yourself if somebody were to walk up to you and say, So who are you? What are you about? What's, what's, your, what's your tagline? You know, on the, your Twitter page, who are you? What's your description? What do you stand for? What are you about? John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He quotes Isaiah hundreds of years before. I'm that person that Isaiah talked about. And you know what I am? You know what I am, John the Baptist? I'm a road sign. All this known that you see that I have, all these people that are coming to hear me speak and preach and baptize, all this known, all this fame, you know what it's for? I'm pointing to somebody else. I'm a road sign. I'm a landmark. 
And that landmark has an arrow pointing to somebody else. That's why I've come. It's not about me. It's about somebody else. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Then why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Why are you doing these these big things? If you're not a big person, why are you doing these big things? If you have all this known, then how come you're not known? How come you're not one of these known people? And in verse 26, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you, among you stands one you don't know. This is the coolest part. I love it. Because he was saying right here in this crowd, among these multitudes, is the whole reason why I came was for him. Everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm about, all this known is for him. And you don't even know who he is. But I'm here to tell you who he is. I'm here to make him known to you. Verse 27. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. You know what he's saying here? You think I'm a big deal? You think I'm somebody important? All these people and all this this attention that I'm getting from Jerusalem and the countryside, if you think I'm a big deal, I want you to know I'm not even worthy to be the servant of the one who comes after me. I can't even be in his service. I can't even untie his shoes. I'm nothing compared to him who's coming. He's the big deal. I'm not the big deal. I'm basically the opening act. I'm the opening band. I'm the warm-up band. He's the one. He's the one that we're after. And, and this whole idea, this didn't bother, this didn't bother John when he starts going this direction, but it started to unsettle his disciples. In the same way Jesus had his followers, John had followers. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, look, everything that I've been doing up to this point is saying one word. You know what that word is? Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is huge. This is huge what he's saying. And all this, all this recognition that I've been given is leading up to this one point. And, and, and he is the one point. He is the person that I'm here for. He's the one that I am putting all of my effort into making him known. The next day, John's, John was there again with two of his disciples. When they saw Jesus passing by, he said it again. He said, he said look, the Lamb of God. And this is two of his guys. And look what happens. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. What, means, what does it mean to follow Jesus if you're one of his followers? And you have to, in order to follow Jesus, you have to unfollow John. How'd that make John feel? Maybe. 
You know, when people on your pages, whatever it is, and they unfollow you, how does that feel? You know, you're, I thought I had, had all these followers, now I only have half. See, now this didn't bother John the Baptist because he understood God's plan. But it started to affect his other disciples. Obviously, it didn't affect, uh, you know, the two disciples, and we know who they are, right? Anybody know who they are? The two that were following John and Andrew, the prominent apostles. John and Andrew were those two. And, and they're like, hey, John, man, you've been awesome. You know, love the, love the camel hair, love the leather belt, man, and the diet we have with you. We've lost a lot of weight working with you because camel, you know, locusts and honey. You're awesome, John. You're awesome. Thank you, John. But we got to go. We got to go. Because you've said it yourself, John. He's the big deal. You're the lesser deal. You said it yourself. And this is huge for us. And then, then he goes on. They came to John, and this is his disciples, right? This is the other disciples of John. They came to John and said, Rabbi, chapter 3, verse 26, Rabbi, which means teacher, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing, and everyone is going to him. This is kind of like a complaint. Hey, John, you're losing momentum. Okay, we're losing followers. We lost John and Andrew, and now all these people are going to him, and, and he's baptizing, and they call him that man. What does that tell you? Did Jesus had, did he have a big name like John the Baptist yet? Not yet. Jesus is on the upswing, and he's baptizing. John, we got to do something because they're baptizing now. You invented baptism. You're the one who brought this thing, so we got to come up with a cool plan. Maybe we do a double baptism. Instead of one, we'll do, we'll do a double, double dunk. Okay, we got to come up with something because you're losing it, John. You're losing your known. And we're concerned because we were rock stars. And now this guy, this, this young upstart from Nazareth is coming on the scene. And look what John says. To this, John replied. Now, if you've kind of been distracted up to this point, I need you to come on in, especially you guys in the back with your heads down like this and you're looking at something like that. Okay, I need, I need, you, to, I need you to come in here with me. Okay, this is so important. This is significant of what John's about to say because it can help you be released of your appetite for known. You know the part that's making you weird Okay, because it weirds you out when somebody has more known than you have, and it's eventually going to happen to all of us. Okay? Look at what John says. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. In other words, whatever you've been given, whatever you have, whether it's a talent, an ability, your ability to sing, your ability to work hard, your ability of, you, to to, to connect with people, to close a deal, whatever talent, ability you have, where did it come from? You received it. And so can we really be arrogant about who we are and what we do? 
Can we really get puffed up about who we are and what we know, maybe our intelligence, maybe our skills? Can we really do that? And that's what John is saying. He said, listen, everything that I've done up to this point was given to me. It was given to me. God set me up. And if he chooses to move in a different direction, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. And it's not going to affect me. But his disciples were like, man, you don't, John, this isn't cool. This isn't what we want. This isn't the way it's going to go down. And then this next phrase is a historic phrase. And even if you don't know the scriptures, you've probably heard. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You're not even sure if you believe in God. You've heard this quote before. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I sent him ahead of him. He must become greater, and I must become less. You know what kind of heart it takes to say these words? When you're on the downswing? And here's the truth. The older you get, the more this becomes true. What, what do you do when the young guy shows up at work and he's outperforming you two to one? He's making your sales numbers look like you're a newbie and you don't know what you're doing. He's killing it. What do you do with that? What do you do with a kid that just moved in to your school, and, you know, the new kid, and, and everybody's getting their attention and you are the new kid, now they're the new kid. What do you do with that? How do you manage that? And, and, and this is so, so, so powerful. John's heart and his, his posture. And so, this is, this is what I want you to take home. Known, it's not about you. Whatever you have, whatever I have, whatever we have, it's not about me. It's not about you. And I got to tell you guys, there, there's, there's many times me as a, as a minister, as a preacher, I can get into this category of having an appetite for being known or for doing a good job. You know, you're doing a good job. And there's a part of all of us that goes, yeah. You know? But then when the flip side comes and you go, you know, I'm not doing so good a job. And, and maybe, maybe there's a need for a change. You know, maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's something that God is doing right now. How do you handle that? When somebody does a better job than you do. You know, how do you manage that? And so we're all in this together. I want you to understand that. You and I are the same when it comes to this and how we manage it. And, and, and here's the thing. It's never been about you. And if you want to get weird, if you want to get really, really weird, try to hang on to something that you have no control over. You know, we see it in the celebrities all the time, don't we? Maybe 10 years ago, they were hot stuff. They were in the front of every magazine. They were young. They were beautiful. You know, they, they were the thing. And then what happens to them as time goes on? The wrinkles, the flaws, somebody younger, and they get really weird. They get strange. They have surgery and they deform their faces and they, they do these crazy things and then they, then they get in front of the audience and they say these weird things trying to create an effect and, and they're just kind of grasping for something. 
weird. You and I can get weird, can't we? Because you're trying to hang on to something that you can't control, can you? You want this to be your way. You want this to be about you. And you don't like that there's change. And we got to let go. And if we want to be, you know, really in a good place at peace with who we are and who God is and what we're here for, then we've got to understand the, these principles. So to be a known survivor, to survive that appetite for being known, to be a known survivor, you've got to remember who it's from and who it's for. Who gave it to you? Your ability, whatever it is, whatever gifts you have. And some of you are incredibly gifted. You have so many gifts. But it shouldn't be a reason for you to get puffed up. It shouldn't be a reason for you to go, oh, look at me and, and, and look at him, look at her. No. You got to understand who it's from. It's a gift and it's from God. And who is it for? It's for him. And we got to make sure we return it back to him. And we want to give him the honor and the glory with it. And that was so awesome about John the Baptist. And let me just say this about John the Baptist. It didn't end well for him. In fact, if you read it, and I highly encourage you, read your Bible, read the Gospels, read about John. It's so powerful, but in some ways it's sad. And how he handled it is amazing. But not all of us are going to be, you know, at, at the top forever are we? The older you get, the audience gets smaller, doesn't it? And the appreciation for what you've done and who you are and, and your contribution gets smaller. And you got to take it all into consideration. Hey, God gave it to me, and it's going to serve a time and a place and a purpose, right? So our known is for what? For his renown, his renown. And, and basically, you and I have to put ourselves in the position of, it's not about me. I'm here for him. Whatever known I get in what I do and how I do it, it's got to be about him. That I want to be that road map. I want to be that road sign where it says, hey, whatever I do well at work, that I'll let people know. It's about him. You know, if somebody says anything, you know, good about your marriage, about your life, about your example, that's the moment where you go, it's not for me. It's for him. I want to make his name known. And that's how you manage our appetite for known. You deflect it. You, you face it. You're honest about it. I want to tell you guys a story. Uh, it's probably one of the highlights of, of my ministry, uh, you know, journey, you know, and there's been a lot. A number of years ago, I got the opportunity to speak to our, our international fellowship leadership in Johannesburg, South Africa. And there were 4,500 ministers and their wives from all over the globe. And then we were all in one room. 
And I was given the opportunity to be one of the keynote speakers. Wow. And I tell you, I didn't sleep for several days, and it wasn't because of jet lag. But I remember, you know, I remember in the, in the hotel room, and I was on my knees, and it was just after our apartheid, and it was kind of crazy what was going on there in the South, South Africa. So I was on my knees, and I said, God, I really want this to be about you and not about me. And I prayed so much for that. You know, but it was a, it was a test, and, and, you know, there we were that, that I believe it was a Friday night, and I got up and I spoke, and, you know, uh, from, from what a lot of people said, that I did a great job. And, but you know what, what the test for it was for me is would people remember and would it create life change for them? Because, see, to me, that was the acid test of I did it for him. And if, if he wanted me to do it, it wasn't for effect. It wasn't for known. It's so they could draw closer to him and it can make a spiritual difference in their lives. The title of the message was called Angel Wars. And I talked about how angels are fighting for us. And I prayed so much about it, and, you know, I talked about, you know, seeing an angel, never seen an angel, but I want to see an angel. But I just think, I just want to encourage everybody, we're in a spiritual battle, and God is for us. He wants to help us. He's with us. He wants to use us, and he's going to fight those battles for us. You're not alone. And I can remember, I can remember different ministers that I've never, you know, you, you, got, your, you got your elevated, the prominent people, and they came up and said, hey, great job, great job, and all that. But I remember the thing that meant the most to me was these guys that were in the outer lying churches all by themselves in remote places, leading small churches, and they said, you know what? You really, really helped me because I'm in a battle right now. And I just want to say for you, when you focus on doing it for him, you end up doing a better job than you could ever imagine. And that's all I wanted. But it's still a struggle. And I, and I know and I want to encourage you to weigh in on that struggle. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it for you or is it for, for him? So let's wrap this up. So remember who it's from and who it's for. And these words that John the Baptist said, we can, only, we can receive only what is given to us from heaven. So whatever you got, Whatever you got on a daily basis, what's these principles mean for us tomorrow when we go to work or whatever we do? How should we proceed? If we want to make him known, we need to do our best. We need to give 100%. We need to outsell him. We need to outstudy him. We need to do our very, very best. Why? Because we want to make him known. We want to elevate him and make him known. So now we're going we're gonna to take the communion, and I, I want to remind you of what, what Jesus said. I don't have it on the screen, but we're going we're gonna to open our Bibles. If you have your Bible, turn it on or open it up to John chapter 19. And before we take the communion, I want to bring you to the place where Jesus was arrested 
He's about to die. He knows how he's going to die. And he's before Pilate, the governor of Palestine. And this is a huge moment. And we pick it up in verse 10. And this is, this is Pilate powering up, okay, this whole idea. Pilate's known, and he's got a lot of power. He says in verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me? He's talking to Jesus. Pilate said, don't you realize that I have the power to free you or to crucify you? Man, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? Look what Jesus says. See if it, it reminds you of what John the Baptist says. Jesus answered, verse 11, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Even Jesus knew this principle. Where does everything come from? Pilate, you think you're so big? You think you're calling the shots here? You think you're the one putting me to trial? And then he goes on to say, therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. See, you're just an instrument, Pilate. You're a go-between. Could you imagine that moment? That moment is so significant for you and I because right now, you know who's guilty of a greater sin? Not Pilate. Not the Jews. You and I. See, we were the ones deciding Jesus' fate by our actions, by our pride. See, our pride put Jesus on the cross. That ugly pride that we're ashamed of, it put Jesus on the cross. And I want you to understand, pride's not, you know, something that we, we can play around with. Well, I grew up prideful and I'm pride. No, 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 pride is ugly. And it crucified Jesus. So as we take the communion today, I want to encourage you to kill it, to decide that you're going to kill your pride, that you're not going to be weird anymore about who you are and what's your place, what's your pecking order, what role you have, how much attention you get or don't get. You're just going to serve God. You're going to be like John the Baptist. I got to become less. He's got to become more. Let me move out of the way and let you see who he is. And so let's pray together as we celebrate the communion. But Jesus, Jesus gave us this opportunity to change and to repent and die to our pride. Let's pray for the communion. Father God, we thank you this morning for John the Baptist. Thank you for his heart, for his willingness to surrender. God, that he was all about pointing everyone in your direction. We ask you this morning that you'll help us to follow his example. That we will make you known. That when we're known, when we get the applause, when we get the recognition, when people look to us, we'll point them back to you. But God, right now as we take the communion, we know that how, that always hasn't been the case. Father, we know that we're prideful. We know that we have an appetite for being known. And Father, we want to die to that self-focused appetite. Father, we confess that our sins put Jesus on the cross. And as we take the communion, we recognize that his body 
was given up for us and what we've done. Please bless this communion and please forgive us. Give us a brand new start. And thank you, God, for that forgiveness. Thank you for our new start that we have every day because you are so good. You're so merciful. We love you, God. We lift up Jesus now. We lift up his body. We lift up his blood. We lift up his death. And we lift up his resurrection. Renew us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.